Okay, so what we're doing, we're looking at Isaiah 9, uh, this, this that Lindsay has already read, but I want to let Isaiah set the stage here for us. Um, again, as you know, I'm a big believer in reading things in, in the broader context, and so uh, if you were to go to the end of Isaiah chapter 8, uh, Isaiah describes uh, what you could call it, the state of spiritual darkness, right? And he uses terms like gloom, darkness, deep darkness, or some translations will use the, the, the phrase uh, the shadow of death, right? Um, and he's talking about, he's talking to a people who would rather go seek out like a, a medium or a, like a witch or something than ask God for something. Uh, he's describing those who look upwards to heaven and curse God and then look out into the world and they feel hopelessness and despair. Okay? That's, this is the situation that Isaiah is addressing. And it was actually, um, it was a bit of an a unusual, almost surreal moment as I was reading this in preparation for this. Because it was one of those times, I don't know if this ever happens to you when you're reading Scripture. We're reading words that were spoken 2,700 years ago. Right? 27 centuries ago, a man named Isaiah said these words, but it, it hit me. I was like, man, this feels so current. This feels so current. People who look up to heaven and curse God and who look at the world and feel hopelessness and despair. Right? And I don't know if um, you follow certain trends and things. In the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, there's been the rise of what sometimes is called the new atheism. Have you guys heard this phrase? And uh, I heard someone describe the new atheists this way. It's actually a relatively small number of people, but they're vocal. Uh, and, and basically their outlook is, there is no God, and boy, do I hate him. There is no God, but boy, do I hate him. Right? And I've known many people in my lifetime who could be summarized with that. That's their view of God. That he's not there, and I hate him. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. But that is the state of spiritual darkness that Isaiah is addressing, right? So this is his audience. And this is the audience who needs to hear of the coming king. Okay, and so he, he gives a couple promises. I'm going to fly through these first few verses just because, as you know, we, we've got short time. Um, otherwise, we'll have 20 kids explode in this room. So I'm just going to fly through the first few verses of um, these promises of God. So these people who are in darkness, uh, those who are walking in darkness will see a great light. All right, the light, the dawn is coming. Uh, for those who have only known uh, uh, strife or oppressive warfare, there's joy coming and there's freedom. And he uses different imagery, right? The yoke, if you think of like um, farm animals. I'm not a farmer, right? I live in Quincy. It's not exactly farm town. Um, but uh, this yoke that holds people down and, and, and it's a sign of their oppression will be broken, Right? And he even, I love this imagery he uses of um, a warrior's boots, right? And these bloody garments of battle will be burned. There will be fuel for the fire, right? There is no more warfare. These signs of warfare, these signs of, of, of a life full of strife uh, will be burned. And the, the day of fighting is over. Right? That's the promise. But so how do, how do we get there, right? How do we find... This, this freedom and this rest. So I want to read again what Lindsay's already read in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, just again to, to get our mind uh, focused on, on what the Lord has to say. For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I love this, right, because the imagery of the ending of warfare, right, the ending of, of fighting, and it's like only in God's kingdom do you find victory not through defeating your enemies by fighting them, but through a little baby. Here's the sign that war, you know, that our strife is over, a baby. Okay. And this picks up on the theme that we talked about last week from, um, from Isaiah 7, right? Of the son who would be born, uh, and he would be the sign that the presence of God has come and his salvation has come with him, right? So this is, already, this is a theme that we're, we're, uh, we've already talked about. And just like in Isaiah 7, he gets a special name, right? This long name, uh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? Now each part, and we could spend all day on this, uh, each part gives us a clue of how it is he brings us rest. Each of these things is something that we desperately need. Right? We don't have to uh, be stuck listening to all these um, competing voices of our world that just sow confusion. Right? We don't have to be drawn aside from what God has laid out for us by, by all the, whether it's on social media or news networks or who, celebrities and politicians and whatever else it is. We don't have to be swayed to go these different directions because we have a wonderful counselor. His counsel is perfect. Right? We don't have to fight for power. We don't have to look for a strong man to win our battles for us. Because we have a mighty God. Whatever strength we see in our world, we have a mighty God. Right? We don't have to be thrown into like upheaval and, and, and confusion about different trends of the day. Like I mentioned, the, the, the new atheism trend or whatever it could be. Right? Different movements in our world that, again, sway us and drag people away from the truth of the Word because we have an everlasting Father who is not subject to the whims of our society, to our culture. He is eternal, everlasting, unchanging. Right? We can have peace from fear, from anxiety in our own souls and in, our, in, our, in the church and in our society because He has given us this Prince of Peace. This is the gift to us. And so we can, it's like we can rest because He invites us into this kingdom that is not dependent on us. Right? Who is it? In this passage, who is it who bears the burden of governing God's kingdom? Right? I mean, it says here, and the government will be on His shoulders. Right? This, this child who's born. He, he, he reigns on David's throne. Remember, God made a promise to David, you're going to have a son who's going to reign forever. Right? He reigns on David's throne. He establishes and upholds this kingdom with his justice and righteousness. Right? We have an eternally just and righteous king. 
And that brings peace, right? It brings peace. Right? And, and this is why Isaiah can say, um, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Right? His, the extent, the breadth of his kingdom is limitless and it is timeless. I mean, there is no other kingdom in this world, in the history of this world, that can say that. Right? So uh, I say this, I feel like every couple weeks. You, you get, have you guys gotten used to like history references? Yep. I'll make some more. Uh, I recently read a, a biography of Napoleon Bonaparte. You guys know Napoleon? It was really exciting. It's like 800 pages. Could have been 200. Um, man took over like half of Europe in a short amount of time. Right? I mean, he, he defeated, you know, I mean, it took like a coalition of a ton of armies to defeat this guy. Where is Napoleon right now? He's dead. That's right. He's dead. Alexander, right? Alexander the Great, not Alexander Moger, Alexander the Great, right? Took over half the known world. Where is he right now? He's dead. Isn't this pleasant? You want to keep going? We can just keep rattling off names, right? You're not dead. A um, hundred years ago, those from the UK could brag. They would say this the sun on the British Empire. Is that true today? No. And I'm not trying to pick on the British. I like them. They're nice people. Right? I'm just saying every kingdom of this world, every power, every superpower, whatever term it is we're going to use, is limited. Right? And as long as the Lord tarries, as long as He waits before He comes, they will all fall at some point. But not the kingdom of God. Right? And His peace will be unending. So this is, it's interesting. The last, I would say, 10 years or so, there's been this revival of, um, of this term peace. Uh, and I think it's been um, an attempt to, to recapture a more robust, a biblically robust understanding of peace. Uh, and a lot of times people will talk about the shalom. That's the Hebrew word that, that Isaiah is using here is shalom, right? Uh, still a greeting in many Jewish cultures. And where we lived in Southeast Asia for a number of years, Christians would greet each other with shalom. Um, and so, and, and it's interesting because the word peace, and oftentimes how we use it in our daily life, peace just means the absence of conflict, right? We're not fighting. We're at peace. Uh, but it, it's, it's not a good way to define the term, right? It, it's defining it by, by what it's not. It's, it's a negative definition. So we don't define um, other terms in this way. If somebody asks you, what is joy? you wouldn't reply, not sadness. I mean, that's true. It is not sadness. But it's far more than that, right? If you were to picture a wedding day, husband, or you know, groom, bridegroom, looking at each other in the eyes, real sweet moment, and they were to say to each other, right now, I feel a total absence of hatred for you. Right? I mean, great. Could we aim a little higher? Right? That absence of hatred is not love. I mean, love is far more than that. We get this, right? But on peace, this is one of those words I feel like, if you were to ask for it, it's like not in conflict. But we all know this intuitively in your relationships with your siblings, roommates, friends, coworkers, spouse. There is a difference between not fighting and being at peace. Right? Probably once or twice in our 13 years of marriage, Lisa and I have had moments where we were not fighting but not really at peace. 
right? Only once or twice. We got a good track record. Um, it, it's a lot more than that. And so I appreciate in the last, in the last 10 years or so that there has been this attempt to recapture a, a more biblical understanding of it. Um, because biblically speaking, peace is so much more than that. So when it talks about the Prince of Peace and his peace that will know no end, it is more than just his people not fighting. And peace actually comes, in, I would say, in, in two directions, right? Jesus wins peace for us in two directions. Vertically with God. This is Colossians 1 talks about, you know, we're enemies of God, because, alienated from him because of our sin, but he has reconciled us to God. He has made peace between us and God. Then you hop over to like Ephesians 2, and uh, I had a child coming up to give me a hug. Um, Ephesians 2, and it talks about how Christ's sacrifice wins peace horizontally between people, right? Between people of different, uh, of different races and, and, and different backgrounds. Peace runs in two directions. Um, and I, I think actually, this is a little side note, um, I think part of this recovery of this biblical understanding of peace, of shalom, uh, actually comes from a book. This is a little history lesson again. Uh, I read this book like 20 years ago. I have no idea where my copy is. I've moved approximately 18 times in those 20 years, and it's, I don't even know what continent it's on, actually. Um, but we can put that quote up, Mary. I'll read this quote to you. This is by a guy named Cornelius Plantinga, Jr. Yes, there's at least two generations of people named Cornelius Plantinga. In case So it's a cool family. Um, and so he wrote this book. It was actually on sin, um, but it, it's on sin as disruption of peace, of shalom. And this is how he defines it. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and the light. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. The peace of God that comes in our King Jesus is bringing us back to the for us to live relationally with Him and with others. That is the peace. It is so much more than not fighting. It's this fullness of love and joy and rest that we experience in the kingdom of God. And that's what this little child that we celebrate every Christmas, that's what he brings. And I find it interesting too, because how will he do this? This last phrase in verse 7. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And it's fascinating because I think if you were to ask, like if we took a poll, what are the characteristics of God? How many would we have to get to before someone said zeal? Right? We'd say love. Right? We'd say, forget, you know, different things, merciful. And, and again, zeal, it, it's this intense love and devotion of God for his people. Right? For his people. And, and it's interesting, right? It's, it's um, not by engaging 
and these never-ending cultural battles, right? These, these culture wars and, and, and debates and, and things in our culture, that peace comes about. It comes about by the zeal of the Lord on behalf of His people. His zeal, His intense devotion and love for us brings us peace through the Son. little side note, Bible nerdery. I find it interesting, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? The sons of God. And interesting, the Son brings peace. And as we follow His example as peacemakers, what are we called? Right? We share in that sonship. And I, I understand that for women sometimes it's hard to be called sons, right? Uh, I grew up in it. So the church, my pastor's wife used to always say, uh, she'd say, ladies, we have to get used to being called uh, part of the sons of God, and the men have to get used to being called part of the bride of Christ. So that was the trade-off, okay? But the zeal of the Lord... Not, not, I mean, the Lord brings peace in an end to our striving to our warfare, not by more warfare, right? But by giving us the Prince of Peace, because He was so zealous to see us restored to His plan of peace and shalom that He sent Jesus to come do it for us, right? He, he gives us peace by giving us a kingdom that will never end, that cannot be defeated, it cannot be snuffed out, it cannot be outlasted. So we've been looking at this theme right, of our God reigns, the kingdom of God. What, is, what does this reign look like? Right. The, the reign of God brings peace to His people. We can put away the weapons of this world. Uh, we can rest. We can rest because His kingdom is never under threat. We are free to have peace, to enjoy peace. In the reign of God that we see here, it's centered on a person. This is the obvious answer of the day, but it is centered on a person. It is centered on this this son who came into the world through a miraculous birth that we're celebrating. It's centered on this promised king who will sit on a throne forever. The kingdom of God is centered on this Prince of Peace who shares His peace with us and calls us to live in that peace and to be peacemakers. This is the vision of the kingdom that Isaiah is giving us. And it's it's this vision that we are called to live out, to make manifest in our culture. So we're going to respond. Um... So today, today is, is a communion Sunday for us, and so um, for those of you who are at home, uh, if you want to participate, I would encourage you to go grab something now. Um, for those of us who are here uh, in person, uh, we're going to have some people passing out some communion elements in just, a, in just a moment as we're singing. I want us to take a moment here to respond to the Lord. Right? And, and, and really, I'm thinking in terms of responding in thankfulness. Thankfulness that He has given us peace. Again, peace with the Father and peace with each other. And so, this is a time for us to, to commit ourselves to living in and living out His peace that He's brought into the world. 
Um, so I want to encourage you to hold on to the elements. Don't take them yet. We'll take them all together in a moment. Um, okay. So Father, would you remind us of the peace that you brought into this world through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, Lord. So we commit this time to you to seek you. Seek you together. <laughs>